Good morning, everybody. I, I want to share this morning from a very well-known passage. I don't think I've talked about it for a long time, but it is actually one of those central passages of Scripture that um, guide my own life, and especially at the times in which we are now living. And so let's read it. It's in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. And in verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, that's Jesus and the disciples were traveling along the road, walking along the road. He entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then you tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, let's get straight what's happening. Um, the reason that was recorded in Scripture was not to talk about who does the chores in the kitchen. It's nothing to do with... Um, Yes, uh, be, being someone helpful to entertain others. The reason it's recorded there is that it's a microcosm of every situation in our life. Everyone, it doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in the office, whether you are in ministry, especially in ministry, um, or if you're in the home, in the school, it doesn't matter. There are principles here. I say it again, they deal with every detail of our life. And it's set in this very homey situation. And I believe for good reason, uh, we can all relate to it. And what I want to do is hook us on to the very central message that is here. And it's more than central, it's the basic. It is really the gospel that so many persons in the Western world have forgotten. The, the gospel is that we have relationship, relationship with the Holy Spirit in and through Jesus, relationship that is actualized in us by the Holy Spirit. I say relationship, that God is not the dictator. He doesn't want servants he doesn't want slaves. He doesn't want people to grovel in front of him. God is revealed to us in Jesus as seeking relationship. He is seeking, shall I say, friendship, which, which puts everything on an entirely new level. We're not talking about getting brownie points for doing good things. We're talking about face-to-face, -face, being known, being loved, relationship and the holy trinity continues in every second of our existence 
that we might know them and he pursues us in this relationship. It's maybe spoken of most directly in 1 John 1. Do you remember where he says that our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son and we want to share this with you that your joy might be full. That's the essence. That's what it's all about. And in that relationship, which is so real, I am talking of a tangible relationship within us. And therein you are realizing in the spirit that we are righteousness. And righteousness means, again, face-to-face with the Father and the Son in the Spirit, um, therein you find the unearthly peace, or as Philippians calls it, that passes human comprehension. Therein is a joy that has nothing to do with circumstances. And all put it in one word, therein is love, and how can I put it? Fear and anxiety cannot be in the presence of love. So if you are anxious and you now begin to realize the love of God toward you and in you, that fear must be gone. The two cannot exist together. And that's what I'm talking about. A still place, an anchor within us, where it doesn't make any difference what is happening around us doesn't matter what pressures we're facing. We are in a still place, a place of refuge where righteousness, peace, and joy, and love in the Holy Spirit are our ultimate reality. Okay, that's what it's about. Um, What's it look like? Well, this isn't the first time Jesus meets this family because... um, We're told other things about them throughout the Gospels. And in John chapter 11, we're introduced to the fact that Jesus deeply loved the brother, because there's a brother here, Lazarus. That was the chap that was raised from the dead. And it says there in John 11 that Jesus loved him and loved his sisters, Martha and Mary. And so it would appear, as we just read it, that they just happened on a village and happened on a house, and a woman came out and said, come and eat with us. But that's not, that's not the truth, um, because these are the, I'd say they consist among the closest friends of Jesus. They were the disciples, of course, but these are not disciples in that sense. They have this home in Bethany, and it's a sort of getaway. If you've ever been to Israel, you know there's, there's Jerusalem here, there's Mount of Olives there, Bethany. It's got a sneak away. You can get out of Jerusalem, away from the harassing crowds, away from the idiot Pharisees, and, and just relax in, in a place where you've got your best friends, and they know you, and you know them, and you don't have to talk unless you want to. It's, it's interesting, archaeologists have found a graveyard in Bethany, and um, they've actually found the tombstone on which it says, this is the family of Simon, that was the father, 
and um, it mentions Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And um, yeah, this is for real. The family has their gravestone out there today. Um, and um, they, they had a big house. I say that because he could bring all the disciples in. That's a bunch. That's, that's 12 husky men and Jesus, as well as Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're all going to be stuffed into the living room. And um, they didn't seem to be out of place there. And, and so they've got this big house. And it was the place that Martha seems to have run. Uh, whenever you find her in the Gospels, she's talk of taking that matriarchal place, Martha. Um, I say again, she ran the house. She comes over as the hostess supreme. Um, she's the nest maker. She's the cook. And she's going to make sure everybody enjoys her recipes. It's, could I say she's fussing over everything like a mother hen? Um, dare I say she's bossy? I think so. She comes over that way more than once when she's talking to Jesus even. Uh, she's the lady that boasts in the fact she speaks her mind and you'd better get used to it. That, that's Martha. She walks through the house with the list in her hand checking off what's done and what hasn't been done. And all's got to be done her way. Martha. Um, mind you, on the other hand, she had a very soft and open heart. She reminds me of a crab sometimes with its solid back and very tender insides underneath the covering because other times when she's speaking to Jesus she makes it very plain how soft and open she is and she loves and trusts Jesus implicitly Martha uh, we know a few people like that um, and so Jesus knew them as friends just plain friends have you ever thought of Jesus simply having friends and having friends that he could go to, they come and it says they're walking along and they see him. We come to Bethany. Why Bethany? That's where Martha, Mary, Lazarus live. And so let, let's go there and continue our discussion. Let's do it. And it was as, it seems as spontaneous as that. They come in, they go into the house, they've got that right because they're friends. And as they go into the house, well, you know what happens. I say 12 husky men sit down in the living room. Jesus sits down there. And immediately Martha moves into high gear. This is her thing. She's going to entertain. And it says, and this, now we've got to the heart of it. It says that Mary, this other sister, possibly the younger sister, and it says that she sat at the feet of Jesus. Now that seems just a, a so what? She chose to sit down there in the living room and hear what Jesus had to say. That's what it sounds to our Western ears. That's not, not at all what was happening. Uh, I, I want to take you back 2,000 years. I want to place you in Jewish society. And you're a woman. Ah, do you know how they treated women in those days? 
Do you know that a woman was not allowed to testify in court? Why? Well, Judaism said they don't have the intelligence. They just don't understand anything. They can't be trusted to give even witness. They'll forget what they saw. And so they were not allowed. And they were not allowed to sit down and become students of teachers and rabbis. For the same reason, don't waste my time. A woman has nothing between her ears. And therefore, why should we teach her the deep things of God when she doesn't have the intelligence to have it? And so that was the end of it. Women were excluded. And they were excluded to do women's stuff. They were excluded to do kitchen and babies and cleaning. And please, don't get here where action really is. You can't come here. This is for men only. The rabbi is here. So let us all sit down and listen with reverence and intelligence to the rabbi. So it says Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. And of course, you know that expression, at the feet of? It crops up in the Acts of the Apostles. It's another expression from those days, which means you are the avid student of a a rabbi. It says Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was, we, we would say he went up to theological school or something, but they simply said he sat at the feet. That is, he sits down in humility at their feet to listen and be taught. That was the statement. And it's used here of Jesus. And Luke knew what he was doing. He reported it exactly as it would be understood. Luke was a Gentile, and he understood the big wide world. Sat at the feet of, he is saying, Mary was a student of Jesus and sat down to listen to everything he had to say that the word could be translated into English as glued. It it means um, she was glued to him. That is, uh, she sat, another one puts it, she sat tightly. That is, she didn't just slump in front of him. Uh, She is glued to every word he says. She's listening with all ears. She's tight in this. Um, Wow. Do you get the picture? I I don't know how to say it any stronger. This is a violation of everything that was Jewish in those days. I mean, how can I explain this woman sitting down and probably from the tenor of what it is, she was sitting very close to Jesus. Um, What? Mary had learned something that is going to come into full bloom after the resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit. But Mary, this is massive. Mary understood something of the new covenant that blew to pieces all the tradition of her ancestors, that she didn't care what the Pharisees and the synagogue and the rabbis said. She understood that she was included in God's circle of love. And it made no difference whether she was a man or woman. She was included. This is the greatest statement 
that she realizes way ahead of time. They're not going to know this until after the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. And even then, it will be very difficult for people to know this. Um, it was actually when Paul wrote to the Galatians that he put this plainly, that, that in Christ there is neither male nor female, neither rich nor, nor poor, neither slave nor free, uh, neither barbarian or Greek, that is, it doesn't matter your nationality, it doesn't matter your status, it doesn't matter your gender, we are all one in Christ Jesus. And he states it there, that that was totally unknown in the days in which we're looking at right now. And yet this woman, this Mary, has got it. She's heard it. And in a pre-Pentecost way, she has been taught to the Holy Spirit that she's included. She is worth. She has the same worth as any other human being. It's, it's amazing. I don't know if you get it. But um, without invitation, this isn't something Jesus said, well, it's about time you understood this. Oh, no. That, that's the marvelous thing. That would have turned it into law, wouldn't it? If Jesus says, well, you've got to be here. Well, immediately, okay, I've got to be there. But you see, in the kingdom of God, there's no should, there's no must, there's no ought. And when Mary chose freely to come and sit with the other disciples, she did that of her own inner knowing. Jesus did not openly invite her. So it's without invitation. I don't know what the other disciples did. I guess they're getting used to their world being thrown over by this time. But I don't know. I don't know what they did. I mean, they've already had to include a tax gatherer into their their gang, and uh, that must have blown their minds to pieces. But uh, so a woman, maybe that would even be more difficult than a tax gatherer. But anyway, she's here. Jesus does not in any way suggest she leaves. So he's endorsing her decision. He's saying, you're right on. He didn't say a word, but that's what he's saying. Because he, as the rabbi, had every right. In fact, he was expected to remind Mary, you're a woman and you should leave. But he doesn't. So his silence is welcoming her Sorry, to there. Sorry, I hear what you said. Uh, good. Um, that is Siri interrupting us again. But, um, and Lazarus was there, her brother, and therefore he too would have the authority to put her out, but he doesn't. So there's this situation which is full of, Thorns and thistles for any Jewish person. But she's there. And as Jesus speaks, and we don't know much about it except what we read in half sentences there, but he speaks of it, and I'll refer in a moment to it, but it was a beautiful conversation. And it refers to it in terms of the word logos, which of course is the word for word, but I find it interesting that that's the name given to Jesus. He is the Word, the Logos. And he comes from the midst of the Father, God from God, bringing to us the Word of God. And the suggestion is, and it wouldn't surprise me, that the conversation going on there 
was the word. It's the exegesis of who God is, who the kingdom of God is. And I'll put it this way, in that room, in a living room, in a house, in a little tiny place called Bethany, certainly no bigger than Bandera, <clears throat> maybe smaller, and this, this house, Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth, the word of God, God from God, who has become human, become flesh, and sits there, and he's now talking. Um, teaching would not be as we understand it. It's much more a flowing conversation. And, and he, he's drawn everything into the focus of that. You could say that that living room has become, in those moments, the center of the universe. This is where everything begins and where everything comes back to. This is the center. He's the creator. He's the one in whom all things consist. He's the one who is about to restore everything that Satan has messed up. And he, he's there, all in the living room. The living room has become something other than a living room. It's become the place of heaven on earth, the place of stillness. It doesn't matter what's happening outside. There is a stillness here in which I can hear clearly. The word of God is articulated inside of me because this is a refuge where everything else is blocked out. That The words are integrating my life. It's making it whole. It's making sense out of it. Or you could say in this place, here all answers find their question and all questions find their answer. Right. Quite a thing. Martha, of course, retreats to the kitchen. Like all good ladies should. She does that, and number one, it would be simply because she knows she has no place there. She is a woman, and so she belongs in the kitchen. That would be the first thought. But also, it's her opportunity to do her thing. Now, you've got to be careful here. Because there's nothing wrong with cooking. <laughs> um, actually, Jesus probably speaks more about meals and feasts and attends weddings and has a jolly good time. And so don't, don't get me wrong here. She retreats to the kitchen. But you see, it's what, why you do things. It's not what you do. It's the why behind it. She's going there to cook the meal of a lifetime. Uh, why? Because her cooking is going to be an offering of love to Jesus. She's going to do her talent. She's going to do what she can do. But in so doing, she's going to present it to Jesus. And in her mind, I mean, with a holy enthusiasm, she gets out her recipes she brings all her cooking talents to the top. She's going to make a meal that Jesus would never forget. She's alone in the kitchen and begins to realize that Mary hasn't joined her. Okay, leave that on the shelf for a minute. She'll turn up, I'm sure. 
And so to get there and come and come into the kitchen, uh, I mean, here the, the pots are bubbling, the roast is cooking, it smells delicious. The kitchen's full of steam, it's full of smoke because they cooked over an open fire. The smell of the food mixed in with the smell of the smoke. And there in the middle of it, sweating, red-faced, is Martha, covered in flour, got grease all over her apron. She's in the middle of a cookout. And she is in high anxiety. High anxiety. I mean, I say it again, get that. Jesus is in your house. He's in the living room. You are in the kitchen and you're cooking and that meal is going to be placed in front of God himself. Uh, anxiety, it comes out. You've got to read what's going on here. I mean, is it going to turn out all right? I don't cook. Everything I touch turns bad. But uh, assuming you're a Martha, there's a chance, you know, will it turn out all right? Is he going to like it? I didn't show him a menu to start with. Uh, will there be enough? I mean, we've had Jesus here before, but 12 guys, most of them to do with the fishing business. I mean, tough, strong. They're going to eat a lot. Have I made enough? You know how it is. And Mary still doesn't show up. And... and you know, Martha's blood pressure is rising and she's getting angry because she's also afraid of the anxiety that goes with this. And she couldn't imagine, get this, she couldn't imagine that Mary is in there in the living room as a disciple. That, and that would never enter her head. No, Mary was probably in there, the lazy kid that she is, sprawled out on the floor and hoping nobody notices her. But never did she think that Mary is there as a disciple. That wasn't in her vocabulary. No, she's in there lazing around, avoiding helping me. That's. I mean, I, I don't know how you do, but I can see her face. I mean, it's red as a beet. She is, she's mad. I mean, she is seriously upset. And she's high-level anxiety, a blood pressure sky high by now. And she's muttering to herself, I can hear it. She says, I'm all alone here. I'm all alone here. That kid, She treats me like a slave girl. I, I do all the work here. I'm the slave in this house. I'm the glue of this family. I'm the one who cooks. I'm the one who cleans. Where is Mary? You know, it's not coming. And that's when she erupted. I suppose if I could keep standing there in the kitchen, I think she banged a few pots and pans a little louder than they needed to be, hoping Mary's got ears or is she deaf too, you know. <laughs> Slams a few cupboard doors, kicks the table. I mean, are you deaf as well as lazy? The, the presence of Jesus had taken all of her Martha-ness to a new level. Have you noticed that, you see? I, I'm, I'm sure she could have had this fit anyway under different circumstances. But Jesus made it all the worse. Jesus turned it into a living nightmare. Um, if Jesus wasn't here, I say it would be bad enough, but this is terrible. 
because you see I'm doing all this for him I'm doing this as a sacrifice for Jesus and therefore it's got to be good it's got to be perfect it's got to be enough and I need Mary here even if it's only to bounce the ideas off if Jesus wasn't here well that's okay but Jesus here the fact that Jesus was there has turned the kitchen into a war zone um, do, you, do you understand um, if I'm not doing it for Jesus well yeah it's bad enough but if I'm doing it for Jesus to her the presence of Jesus meant I must do something for you that will please you and you'll never forget Jesus comes in I move into that mode I've got to do something for you that you'll never forget I've got to get involved for you and I've got so many beautiful plans I don't know which one to choose to make you feel so happy Jesus but all her plans have done is to produce chaos it's chaos there's only one lady in the kitchen but she's in a state of chaos and it's about to explode all over the house it's a chaos that is totally out of sync with what really is happening in that house I, I, I don't know if you get it again I, I have to say it do you know what happened in that living room when the Creator the Creator of all things the one in whom all things consist who has become human is sitting in a house in Bethany and speaking words that originated before time began and there is this unearthly peace there there is a, a rising joy and stillness and just down the hall there in the kitchen it's like hell on earth she's out of sync with what's really happening did you see it what's really happening there is that Jesus is teaching just a handful of people it was a divine appointment in the living room and Martha is out and she just doesn't even know that just banging the pots and pans and screaming for the Mary who isn't there do you realize religious anxiety is the worst of all anxieties if you're trying to do something for Jesus I guarantee you are or soon will be in a state of anxiety is it enough um, have you ever been to these conferences where Christian workers get together <laughs> if they ever get serious then it's it's this that they are I mean how many do you have in Sunday school on Sunday well I didn't have that many in my well then there's something wrong with me um, the the guest speaker is sure to speak on what is the secret of power what is the secret of a big church because we're all looking we've got to try and please we've got to try and do and it produces the chaos and the envy hatred sometimes because other people are more successful than me I say it again religious anxiety is the worst of all anxieties it's the most deadly and Martha 
She couldn't hold back any longer. <coughs> strong words that are used even in the English translation, but in the Greek is very strong. She bursts in as if the door nearly was knocked off its hinges. And she stands there. And I can't help it. It's the way my mind works. You know, I look at her. <laughs> what a mess. Her hair's all gone crazy. There's flour all over her face. And look at the grease stains everywhere. And she's red in the face. And she's standing there ready to explode. And did you notice she didn't talk to Mary? Now, that's fascinating. She could have just said, lady, get up and get out. She doesn't. She explodes to Jesus. Why would she do that? Because she expected Jesus as the rabbi to tell this interpolator to get out of here. But, so she, she addresses Jesus. You're responsible for allowing Mary to be in this group. What do you think you're doing, Jesus? Repent and come my way, you know. Do it the do things my way. Mary's not supposed to be here. You let her be here. Now you tell her to come and get in the kitchen. Huh. And Jesus responds. Martha, Martha. When when you hear the two words put together, do you remember on the road to Damascus he said, Saul, Saul? It, it's it's not demeaning. It's the way you would treat a little child. Martha, Martha. Come on. It's the same with Saul, Saul. What, what are you doing persecuting? It's, there's no anger there. Did you notice that? Again, there's no law. There's no anger. Jesus said, Martha, Martha. It's a gentle introduction for what he's going to say. He says, only one thing is necessary. Only one thing. And please, everybody hear that. That this is not some religious fantasy, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk thing. That this is vital to our living in every situation in life. Now, especially. Martha, Martha. Only one thing is necessary. In, in all your attempts to please me, Martha, you, you've lost all sense of who I am. You've lost all sense of what I'm giving you. You've missed the one thing that is necessary and have got yourself involved in every other thing you could imagine. And so to follow that, he was saying essentially, if you read that about a hundred times, you'll hear it. He, he was saying, I really don't need all your dishes. I, I, I hate to say it. Um, we could have handled this in many different ways. You didn't even talk to me about it. I, I really don't need all your cooking. It was you, Martha. You chose to prepare a meal. I, I didn't ask you to. And you want Mary to come out there with you? Mary chose. You chose. 
to go into the kitchen. I neither asked you to nor stopped you. This is the kingdom of God. There's no ought, must, or should. So you chose it. You chose it. You're loved. It's okay. Martha, Martha, I'm not mad at you. You chose it. Well, Mary also chose. Mary chose to sit at my feet and learn. And then he says, Mary has chosen the good part. Now, yeah, that would do. But that's not what the original language says. The original language says, Mary chose the best or the good portion. And so you could translate it as Mary chose the best meal in the house. It's portion. Um, But I find it very interesting that the, the word here for portion in the Greek language is also used in the Greek word for sin. Only in the word sin... It's prefaced by the negative, which means sin means you've lost your portion. Sin means that which God prepared for you, you've missed it and you've lost it. Does that make sense? Um, without going into a whole bunch of languages. So, so sin means, one of the meanings of sin is you lose the portion in life that God has given to you. Someone stole it away from you. But here he uses the same word without the negative. And he is saying Mary has discovered, Mary chose to come and receive that portion of life that was always intended for us. And I'm giving it here to you. And she chose to come and take it. Boy, she's got the best meal in the house. And you're preparing back there what nobody asked you to do and has has actually further yet stolen away from you the life that you were intended for. And also if I pushed it even further, it would say Mary, what would it say here? Yeah, she's chosen. Actually, if literally translated, that would be Mary has sourced It means I put my anchor down. I've sourced it. I'm not moving from here. Remember? It says glued. I'm not moving. I'm tight at the feet of Jesus. Mary has sourced. She has sourced her permanent portion. She's got it. And she's not leaving. That was her choice. In this beautiful conversation... And as I said, the word there is these beautiful logos. It's You could say the, the word from the very beginning. She's anchored herself in this conversation. She has become her heart open to hear and to see that which began before time and is now manifest in this living room. And she's receiving it. She's eating the portion that is being now restored. So Martha, your idea of feeding all of us with your beautiful recipes, it was a beautiful idea. It was a kind, it was generous. It really was. Uh, Trouble is, I wasn't asking for it. 
It was a beautiful idea, but it was done at the wrong time. So Mary had chosen the best portion. She is now, and I don't know if you've realized how big that was, she's now participating in the new covenant. She's now participating in the new kingdom, which has not altogether arrived. It's arrived in Jesus, but it hasn't gone beyond. But Mary's caught it. And she's sitting here in an incredible stillness and peace and joy and awareness of righteousness. And she is being fed at a deepest level of her being with the word of God, the unbeginning before time. When you, Martha, what's he say? He says, distracted. The Lord answered and says, Martha, you are worried and you're bothered about so many things. You're anxious. I don't have to explain what anxiety is. I think we've all got a gold medal in that. Um, Anxiety, full of care full of fear how things are going to turn out. All the what-ifs and suppose anxiety. Your mind is churning, he said. That would be another way of putting it. It's churning, fretting. There's a turmoil going on inside of you. You're divided. What's happening in the kitchen and you're saying, what's going to happen? What if this? What if that? It's tearing you apart. You're divided. You're drawn apart. You're torn from top to bottom inside. You're overwhelmed by everything that you assumed was your responsibility. The great master and the savior of the house. Well, what's it produced? Nothing but anxiety. You know, Martha, she's the one that believes everybody has a piece of her. She sort of likes that because it means, in a sense, I'm in control of everybody. They can't live without me. I'm the glue that holds the place together. Um, She's controlled by a thousand voices and feels she must say yes to them. do, Do you know what I'm talking about here? When there's voices from here and voices from there, you should do this, you must do that, you ought to do that. And you feel I've got to to answer all the voices. Got to answer. You're harassed by demands. And you you feel you're the only one who can answer it. I've got to do it. It's me. I've got to do this. Do you you know know those strip plugs? Do we have one in here? You know, it's a long thing with all the plugs there. And you plug it in and, and... how, how many people? They're just like that. They're a strip plug. And they go up to everybody and say, you know, plug into me, plug into me. I, I'm, I'm your answer. I'm your answer. Yeah. Drain me. I'm a selfless person. Because if you're selfless, you're useless. You've got to have a self to give yourself. And all this religious nonsense, I'm a selfless person. Or all of Jesus, none of me. What kind of crap is that? Yeah, none of you? Then there's nobody left to do anything. Paul said, I live. Then yet not I, but Christ. 
Now you have this incredible mystery of I live. I've been more I than I've ever been in my life before. Yet I know with a wink, it's not I, it's Christ who lives in me. But the Martha kind of people say, oh no, it's not me, it's the Lord. I'm a selfless person. I just give myself to everybody. I, I'm, all, I'm always there when anything needs to be done. I'm always there. Because if there's a need, then that's obviously God is giving me the need to meet. If there's some problem, he's giving it to me to answer the problem. I'm the center of this. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, you know, I've said this before. When people have said, well, there was a need. I had to fill it. That's what Jesus does. I don't know. I don't think so. He only did what the Father said. He only said what the Father said. He never answered a need. Never. Jesus never answered a need. He was controlled by what the Father said. And and I followed that up. If I, right now, I, if I responded to need, believe me, I wouldn't be sitting here. I would be among the Zulus, probably, um, I certainly wouldn't be here. Did you understand that? I, I know that upsets all the will of God stuff, and but the fact is, we're not directed by an abstract will of God. We're not directed by "I feel the need." No, we're directed by Christ who lives within us, and and that makes everything different. This, this woman, Jesus says, "You're troubled." And that word troubled, it means turmoil. It means a spirit in turmoil. It means deep disturbance. It's used elsewhere in the New Testament to describe a crowd of crazies who are, is a noise of confusion, chaos of voices. Uh, there's another one it's used where it's a shriek of an uproar. It's like the zoo at feeding time. <laughs> but it was all for Jesus. Oh yeah, all for Jesus. I was doing my best for Jesus. So it worked out. And of course you're always angry at yourself because you've lost control. You'd never admit it, but you have. And then of course you take it out on the kitchen pots. And then you take it out on Jesus. Uh, but it was all for Jesus. It was all for Jesus. But there's only one thing that's needed. And Mary chose it. Martha had turned the kitchen into an offering to Jesus and it created chaos for everyone who had nothing to do with it. Martha was doing something for Jesus. Mary was receiving life from Jesus. That's really the heart of it. Every need is not an opportunity from God. And you can add to that the voices from the past. Even your parents who have long gone, you still hear their voices saying, you should do this, you ought to do that. You're driven, you're driven. Add to that the church and its laws of you should do this, you ought to do that, you must do that. <laughs> and then add to that, what if? Imagine if Martha had a cell phone and CNN... <sighs> what a mess you'd be. 
because then you'd have to add on all the news costs. And what do I do about it? As if you are going to change Washington, you know. But it's my responsibility. It's on my shoulders. I plugged into some prayer meetings along the way. You can't really call them that. That would be an insult. But they attempt to be prayer meetings. Their anxiety fits directed at God. Yeah, I actually heard one person pray, and as they prayed, they said, Lord, have you heard the news? <laughs> oh, yeah. They expect God to be in them. Do you realize that's all this stuff? It's all Martha. It's all the kitchen gone crazy. The best dish, the best portion is a heart in stillness, a unified heart, an undivided focus. It is peace in the middle of turmoil. Now that's, this is rest that comes under the life and the direction of Jesus, the word. His word is the integrating word, the one thing, the refuge, the secret place. While the kitchen's going crazy, Mary's sitting there in another world under the shadow, the anchor of her soul. Yeah, now I've heard sermons on this. Somebody's got to cook. Somebody's, why Mary, oh, that's great what Mary was doing, but somebody's got to cook and clean. Now, please don't get me wrong. <laughs> but are you sure that you are going to be governed by the voice of brooms in the cupboard and recipes in the kitchen? Is that what governs life? Oh, yes, of course, somebody's got to cook and clean. What I'm saying is where it comes from. And what I, I, I hope I've made myself clear that it's not that it was the kitchen. It was where is she coming from in the situation that she finds herself. She finds herself in the presence of Jesus and she says, I must cook. Okay. Um, what about relationship? Is this real? Is Jesus so alive in us that our relationship is sharing with him what is screaming at me from the kitchen and the broom closet and my office and asking him, what shall we do with this? Take my agendas and my schedule and simply lay it before him and let him bring his peace into the kitchen. You're not owned by the kitchen. You're not owned by the broom closet. You're not owned by any should, ought, must. It's asking Jesus, how does he want this, which must be done, but how does he want it accomplished? Instead of going at it like a, a bull on steroids, you know, it's... What would have happened if Martha had asked Jesus what he wanted? Oh. You listen to that, I've called it more than once, one integrating voice. There's a voice that integrates all the others and it becomes so obvious what you have to do. I know I've practiced that for 70 plus years. Um, the one voice that leads you through all the other voices the one person who brings all the chaos to focus. 
in the Revelation, he's called the one who is the voice, the, the sound, his voice is the sound of many waters. Have you ever been around a waterfall, the sound of many waters? You can hardly hear yourself talk. The sound of many waters takes over all other voices. So what would he have done? Seriously. Jesus and disciples come to the house. Instead of scurrying into the kitchen, because I've got my agenda, I know how I'm going to serve him. Supposing Martha, along with Mary, had said, how should we handle this? Action out of relationship. Rather, action hoping it will form a relationship. Action that is peace and joy and not guilt and shame. So what what we could do? Well, for starters, we could have had pita bread with olives. Um, that was maybe throwing some humus, you know. Um, that was a good meal out there in the Middle East most of the time. You, well, actually, Jesus spoke about this back in John 4. Do you remember? When the disciples went into the city to buy food for lunch, because Jesus was hungry, when they came back, he didn't want to eat it. Do you know what he said? He said, I have meat to eat that you know nothing about. So much so, we say we tend to say that was all spiritual. Well, it was spiritual that affected his digestion because he didn't want to eat now. So it's very possible that if Mary Martha had asked the question, he would have said, forget about it. Didn't he say Mary has chosen the best dish? So maybe Mary didn't want to eat now. Uh, please, don't, don't think I'm going crazy here. Eating's okay. God blesses eating. Jesus, well, that's another thing he could have done, isn't it? He fed the 5,000. He, he could have fed 12 or 13 people. Easy. Could have. And as I say, he's, in, he's into it. He's into picnics. He's into food. It's just the timing and the how, and where we're, which only happens in relationship. Well, of course, he could have sent the disciples into town to buy food, fast food, <laughs> such as they had. Because um, that's what they did in Saika. They went there to buy food, and they came back with some sort of hand food. When Jesus said, I've got other meat. Oh, we could all go in the kitchen and help. I don't know. But there's many possibilities that would fit in with what was happening in the living room. Mary chose against every other voice she'd ever known in her life. She chose. Mary knew that she was included. And she might have been the first woman on the planet to know that she was included. Um, included into what looked at that time to be the inner circle. But of course, when the new covenant came, after the resurrection and the Holy Spirit came, it was revealed, the gospel revealed that there is no inner circle because there's no outer circle. I know this is very difficult. Good. See, God has no favorites. None. 
No favorites at all. The entire human race is included in his circle. There's no us and them. Not with God. There's only one circle of love into which he invites everybody. In Christ he brings everybody. Now why is that difficult for us to understand? Because the church, religion, when I say church in that sense it's religion, it began pretty early, around the 5th century. The church began finding how many persons can it exclude? The church has been doing that. I keep saying church. I really mean the religion. I'm not saying everybody in every church. But it's pretty widespread. Who can we exclude from this circle of love? We no longer say women have no intelligence, or do they? I know many churches where you'd almost be treated the same way, ladies. I'll say it carefully, that is filthy and it's damnable. Jesus never brought that. He released woman to an equal position with himself, eye to eye, face to face. When you hear the church say that, no, Jesus never did. He exalted women to a position they'd never known before. He doesn't denigrate. I, I know many, many churches where if you have sinned along certain lines, not all sins, because we understand there are many different kinds of sin. Some it's okay, others the unpardonable. And if you've done one of those, you can never come back into ministry again. You can never even... I tell you what you can do, you can tithe. Oh, yes, you can tithe. But that's about it. They won't let you back in, exclude you. And you know I'm right. You know I'm right. The church began by saying there's clergy. Jesus never ever mentioned that word. Clergy and laity. And that comes from a verse in uh, Revelation where there was a whole sect called the Nicolaitans, lay, laity. And it means the clergy are the spiritual. They're the inner circle. They're the special guys. And they had a standard of holiness to meet because they're the only ones that are really going to know God. And then there's the laity. And in the 5th, 6th century, they actually wrote it down that if you were not clergy, the best we can hope for is you memorize the Ten Commandments and do your best. That's it. You're just laity. You're outside of knowing Jesus, hearing his voice within you. And I know we've come a long way from there, but it's still there. How many of you look at the special speaker as if he's just slightly less than God? And forget that so are you too. No, it's, there's no specials. I'm not special any more than you are special, which makes us the most special of all creation. But we're in it together. There's no us and them. There's only one circle. And so we still have it today. Racism in churches. Putting women down in churches. Mary was the first one to discover what Jesus was all about, which is to exalt all of these outcasts. 
The tax gatherers were outcasts. Of course, they could never get right with God. They're tax collectors. And Jesus called them his special little lambs, his precious sheep, his lost coins. He puts his arms around them and says, you are my son. Hmm. Of course, we might envy Mary. I mean, really, if you follow the story, you might envy Mary sitting there. And you think about it. If I was Jesus, and you're just sitting around and wow. To know with excitement she's included. Jesus said, it is better for you that I go away. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, it will be infinitely better. So he is saying that life with the Holy Spirit is infinitely better than anything Mary got sitting in the circle. When we were in Israel, um, I had a few people with me, and, and God bless them. They were only being what the church had taught them. But when, I remember it was specifically in Capernaum, and we were in Capernaum. And there, there's the original floor there of the synagogue that Jesus went to and also where some of the miracles are recorded in the New Testament Gospels. That, that was the place it happened. And these people took off their jackets and they were rubbing them on the floor. And, and they were saying, this is the floor Jesus walked on. If I can get a, a bit, of, bit of the energy into my... my and they weren't the only ones. The place was full of people polishing the floor with their clothes. And I stopped it. I said, get up. <laughs> Superstitious. And I quoted that. I said, do you know what Jesus said? I don't care what happened here. And it's a wonderful thing to look at it. Yeah, Jesus was here. But I don't care what happened here. When the Holy Spirit came, it's no longer me here and Jesus there. It's no longer Jesus in Capernaum and I've got to somehow get to him from Jerusalem. He said he's going to be inside of us and inside of us in the fullness of his having conquered Satan, released us from all sin, placed us face to face with the Father, embraced us in the totality of the love of God and said, now let's sit down and talk and have that stillness and that place of refuge and that secret place of the Most High. He said, it's inside of you now. And not only inside of you, but all around you. This is where you are and who you are. God became flesh. We've said that over and over again. But you realize what it means? God spoke his final word inside our humanness. Which means that that's where he's going to meet with us. The Old Testament is old. And the word old means ready to, you know, collapse, it's gone. Because in the Old Testament they didn't know that. See, That's why you know something that Moses didn't. And I mean that. You know something Isaiah, Jeremiah never, they could only say, I has not seen, ear has not heard, we've never been able to touch it. And all they could say, it's coming one day, I don't know what it is. But now, you, you 
your body has become the temple in which God, the Holy Spirit, lives. And in that Holy Spirit, you are with the Father and the Son. You. You don't have to go to a place called the house of God where there's a holy of holies in you. No, the holy, the word in the New Testament is your body, your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. For God got inside our humanity and that's where he talks to us. So I'm not waiting for a voice floating out there in the ether. Why would you wait for a voice out there when the voice is in here? Really? I'm not waiting for some sign. I saw three ducks flying like a cross. It must be a sign. No, you just meant three ducks were flying like a cross. There's no sign. The sign himself is inside of me. God bless you or not. <laughs> yeah. That's abiding. That's living, dwelling inside. So I don't have to go to the living room in Bethany. Because he lives inside of me, abides, he lives, he abides in me. So I live in what was happening there. I live in that divine energy of love. I live inside that peace that is beyond human comprehension. That's where I live. That's my anchor. And there all the voices have to bow to the voice of him who's the sound of many waters. And out of it, comes the wisdom to do what has to be done in the way and the peace and the joy that he gives with no anxiety, with no fear. All that CNN has to vomit into your ears is put in its place by the voice within. So I'm not going to go to bed thinking of what might be, what could be. Oh my God, if that happens, what will? Quite honestly, I... I neither know nor really. I mean, how, how can you be anxious over something that isn't? Tomorrow isn't. This afternoon isn't. So how can I be anxious over it? I rest in the stillness. I put my anchor down in God himself in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, Psalm 23 is this. And I might actually take it as a another day but you remember I've told you a thousand times he wrote David wrote that when Absalom was on the edge of killing him it was a takeover by his son it was a military coup and David is within hours of death from his son Absalom and yet he writes Yahweh I am is my shepherd what on earth is he saying He's not saying, oh God, deliver me from Absalom. No record of that in all the Psalms that he wrote at that time. Rather, he says, the Lord is my... Sh that's his anchor. That's what I'm talking about. With all that's going on around me, with all the voices, with all the rumors, with all my generals saying what could or should happen, I center down into who I really am in the I am. And... I get direction and I don't mean flaming letters I mean because it's in you it's in you and so from within you you just know you, you there's wisdom given there's understanding and therefore he could say in that situation I shall not want I lay down in lush green meadows beside still waters good grief man where are you 
I'm right here, right here. And he prepares a table, a feast, a portion in the presence of my enemies. He said, I am being nurtured, I'm being cared for. He anoints my head with oil to heal me. My cup runs over. Surely, we've been there in the last few weeks. Surely, surely, surely. So, what can I tell you? Got to land the plane. (laughs) Everything that we are being harassed about is really a minuscule thing. That's the word Jesus used there. I missed it as I was talking. But um, you are worried and bothered about, and it's translated so many things. The original language is so many little tiny things. So minuscule. And you're getting so bothered about it. And anyway, all the things that we're bothered about, they're in the hands of God anyway. What we need is a reverence, in the best meaning of that word, awareness, or that he is within me, and an astonishment of how he's going to work this out in ways that we could never comprehend. So be reverently astonished. And come and sit at the feet of Jesus, and he might send you to the kitchen. That's okay, because you'll go in the stillness. He might give you a meal that needs no kitchen. He might do a wonder and feed everybody from two crumbs. He might send you downtown to McDonald's. You know, it's, I don't know. But you begin from the stillness. And because it's not Martha's living room, you never leave the stillness. You live from it. That's where you live. Amen. Go and do it. Amen. Father, we do thank you for the truth, unchanging, immovable truth of what we have said. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, you open our eyes. And it's to that end, I bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that your eyes shall be opened open to astonishment of a life that is lived inside of God himself. So I bless you, and so it is. Amen.